right, y'all. Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, this gorgeous hunk of a man, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. Today, we have our second guest on the podcast, the amazing, the awesome, the chiropractor at the UFCPI. We have Tara Giroux with us. So Tara, tell us a little bit about yourself. And then we'll start diving into some of the stuff that the PI does. Yeah, of course. Well, first off, just thanks for having me, guys. It's lovely to see your faces again. Um, glad I've known you guys for a while now, so this is really cool. Um, but yeah, I'm like you said, uh, I work at the UFC PI in Las Vegas. I've been there for about two years. That's actually where I met Alex for the first time. And then funniest story, he came up to me one day and he was like, hey, do you know Austin? <laughs> And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, he's my best friend. <laughs> um, so the weird little circle came about. But um, Austin, we met, I think, when in Seattle a few years ago. And you were either yeah. freshly coming out of school or. I was freshly in school. Freshly, you were still in school. You were about to I was. Yeah, it was at a DNS weightlifting with Rich. Yes, which was an excellent course. Probably still yeah. one of my favorite DNS courses. Um, Heck yeah. But I remember specifically. We, you know, obviously when you go out for seminars and everything, we go out for drinks after, duh. Um, And I remember sitting on a couch with you being like, so tell me like, what what do you want to do? And you're like, you look me dead in the eye and you were like, I want to work with MMA fighters. And I've like, I don't know if I've ever heard someone be so sure of themselves. (laughs) Oh my God. And yeah. And I was like, that's really cool. I was like, you're like, if you're that gung ho, like you're going to do it. So like, I just... I knew kind of right away you were going to figure it out somehow. So, and look at you, you're freaking crushing it. Um, it's so it's so good to see. It's so good to see you guys. Um, Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. And I know that wasn't really about me specifically, but. Um, <laughs> uh, you're too humble. Yeah. You're too humble. <laughs> yeah. But my background, um, I grew up in Michigan. I went to Michigan State for undergrad, majored in kinesiology, and then decided to do Cairo school. So went down to Palmer, Florida and, um, went through there, was down there for, you know, three years or whatever. And then, um, just my whole life, I've been into sports and super athletic and played just about everything under the sun and kind of knew I wanted to blend medicine and sports somehow. And I really kind of like the freedom behind chiropractic rather than like your traditional PT or anything like that. I don't know. It just stood out to me. So, um, obviously I went to school and, uh, just kind of started to learn as much as I can about sports medicine and sports injuries and, you know, figure out what courses I need to take to be good at that. And just kind of started on that journey. Um, my first internship out of school was with the Carolina Panthers Kairos up in Charlotte, which was an awesome kind of first experience in the real world, a really good multidisciplinary clinic. Oh, yeah. You had your PT, your ATC, your acupuncturist, sports uh, strength coaches there. So that was kind of like, okay, here we are. This is definitely a place where I want to work and how I want to do things. Um, so from then I just kind of started to figure, you know, just kind of got on the journey of, okay, where do I need to go to learn these things or, you know, who's going to be those mentors for me to kind of push myself forward and to, you know, potentially work in pro sports one day, you know, that was always the goal. And, um, I don't know how many people really are listening who know, but as a Cairo, that's a really hard world to break into. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I figured, you know, if I just kept putting myself in the right places, investing in myself, you know, doing the right things, I'd hopefully get there one day. Um, so I decided where I needed to be next was in Seattle. 
So I literally moved from North Carolina, like coast all the way over to Seattle coast. And um, I worked under Dr. James Kurtz, who's the Cairo for the Seahawks and just another big sports and multidisciplinary clinic. We saw obviously like a ton of different athletes coming through. Um, But, you know, West Coast is just great for that kind of just healthy, holistic, you know, alternative minding, active population that I wanted to be in. So I knew I needed to put myself in that position in order to learn, to grow, to get where I want to go. So after kind of five years in private practice, I saw this job posting for the sport, a sports medicine manager at the USCPI. And I will tell you, I've probably watched a handful of MMA fights in my entire <laughs> life. Um, I had luckily just started dating my boyfriend about six months before. And funny enough, I'm the girl who loves every single sport, knows everything about it, watches everything religiously. And the only sport he watches is MMA. So our trade-off was Saturday morning, he'd watch Michigan State Spartan football with me. Saturday night, I'd watch UFC with him. Um, So I just started getting in and I had never in a million years thought that I would work with MMA athletes. I figured hockey, baseball, those are kind of like my primary sports and that would be it. So it's been an interesting journey, but you know, it's been fun kind of as an adult, just learning a new sport, especially like when you just love sports so much and you've been active your whole life, it's kind of been super fun for me to be there. Um, so yeah, needless to say, I got the job. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I've been there, I've been there yeah. for two years now. Um, yeah. And it's been, you know, it's the highest of the highest. So there's a lot of stress and a lot of responsibility, maybe even more so that comes with that. But, you know, you take that for that for what it is and you rise to the occasion and you know you just be true to yourself but also you know I have a great team around me who really pushes me to continue to learn and to grow and kind of get outside my comfort zone so um yeah it's been awesome so far definitely I think that's an awesome story Sarah I think that shows a lot of you know lessons in your maturity of knowing where you want to go and then putting yourselves in the, in the right place to have success um, where you're at. One thing you kind of continually mentioned along your journey was like a multidisciplinary approach um, and a, an integrated kind of system. And that, that was one of the biggest things that I noticed when I was at the PI um, during my internship is like, it's a whole process. It's a team atmosphere. And we're, and we're attacking this from different angles to get truly get the best for the athlete. Um, so in my opinion, that was, that was one of the the biggest differentiating factors at the UFCPI that that we made this whole high performance team and, and made it work on that level. For you, um, coming new in MMA, and I think a lot of us kind of catch that bug, right, where we get into MMA and then um, all of a sudden it's all about MMA or it's all about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or, or or whatever discipline it, that people find themselves in. Um, so for you coming to the PI in the last two years, what's been the biggest differentiating factor that either makes the PI um, better or in the MMA sense makes it a little more specific um, from your standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the PI, when I got there had only been around for three years. So obviously we're coming up on five next month. I've been there for two and, you know, I've worked in multidisciplinary clinics and private practice, but it's kind of, although it's under the same roof, it's still kind of separate. There's still mm-hmm. kind of some egos going on. Like, you know, maybe like the PT knows better, like, why are you doing exercises or, um, you know, the, the acupuncture thinks they should be doing this and they don't really understand what you're doing over here. So, you know, I think one of the th- 
best things about our team is how we really prioritize communication. Communication is, is absolutely everything. Like, and I think just checking that ego at the door, like I'm surrounded by the best of the best in their own professions. And so even though, you know, for example, I'm a, I'm a trained Cairo and we learn new nutrition in school, you know what I mean? Like the basics, like I, I need to be able to be like, okay, this person's better at this than me. Like, you know, the nutrition team needs to handle this. I need to refer to them. I need to collaborate with them. Of course I can be like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking, but you know, I let them not let them, but like, I want them to take the lead on that. Like Mm -hmm. that's their wheelhouse and I will stick to mine, so to speak. Um, But the way that we can communicate in order to get that best outcome for the athlete, I think is like what it's all about. And I think that's really kind of what sets us apart. And, you know, even my colleagues who have worked in other professions and other sports at the USOC with NFL athletes and things like that, you still get quite that bit of divide um, within, you know, you're under your roof, right? So people still, you know, think they're better than them or the communications off or like, it's just separate in a way like, okay, go to that room for this, go to that room for this. Like we are constantly kind of ebbing and flowing and like I'm out on the S and C floor constantly and, you know, pulling in them on, training loads and modifications and making sure that we're, you know, either doing the same thing or doing different things in order to benefit that athlete. If they've got an injury we're working around or, you know, pulling in sports science on like, Hey, this injury is not getting better. I don't think recovering. Right. What are you seeing on their aura ring trends, things like that. So it really is about just like constantly communicating. I mean, we've got text threads, we've got Microsoft team threads, we've got emails, we've got weekly meetings, we've got sub department meetings, we've got interdepartment meetings, like, there's just constant kind of collaboration and communication within the departments. And I think that's what truly, truly makes our team multidisciplinary, or interdisciplinary, however you want to call it, um, compared to maybe some other teams out there. Oh, yeah. Well, and go ahead. I was gonna say, and something that I noticed about you and your team when you're talking with everybody is interdisciplinary, not just within your own field though, right? Or within your own building. You're right. very, very involved with the skill coaches as well. And you're, you, all of you, everybody at the PI, from what I've seen is very open to talking to skill coaches about these different things. And I know for some people, for some Kairos, ATs, PTs, whatever, that's hard to have that conversation with the coach. How, how do you guys go about that where you bring skill coaches into the fold where they might not know all of the science behind it? but still trying to educate them in a way that's going to best benefit the athlete, but never stepping on their toes. Yeah. And so that's a really interesting thing that you brought up and and something that we're trying to, I think, do more of. So the one department that I don't, I would say that we don't have at the Las Vegas PI is like an MMA training coach, right? They have Mm -hmm. their own coaches at maybe extreme couture or syndicate or something like that, um, that we have to kind of outside communicate with and, that translation kind of can get lost really easily, right? Like not only are we busy, but that coach also has 50 athletes that they're coaching and things like that, families and their own thing. And um, a lot of the coaches don't always understand like what we do, where we're coming from, you know, how we do things. And so that's really difficult, right? Cause they're not in house. Um, So what we try to do honestly is just communicate, right? Like, I mean, I know John Woods, I know Eric, I mean, I know, a lot of the coaches and we'll, we'll go watch practices with them and, you know, to see like, what are they doing? What's, what are the lingo that they're using? Cause our lingo might be different than their lingo, right? I might say, 
you know, he's got a pinched nerve in his neck and they might be like, oh, you got to pull out the fight. So like they just might not quite understand maybe like some of the things that we're doing and, and vice versa. Like, I don't know, you know, I'm not at every single practice, right? I'm not a head coach. I'm not a training partner. Um, but you have to be aware of, you know, that that whole gym kind of atmosphere, right? And mm-hmm. and what they're doing. So that's definitely like probably one of our biggest struggles, I would say. Um, but what we're doing now is bringing in the coaches for kind of like round tables or just, um, you know, including them more on our game plan. And that's been, I think, really beneficial because now that they're, they're trusting us more, they, they get an idea that like, you know, we obviously have the best interest of that athlete and this is what we're seeing. And this is what they're telling us, you know, that athlete isn't going to go to their coach and be like, coach, I'm hurting. This is the injury I have, blah, 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 blah. blah. Um, And me able to understand that translate that back into like, okay, these are the things they can do, can't do, shouldn't do whatever it is. So like that translation definitely gets potentially like lost. So you just, again, I'm going to go back to communication, like text them, call them, go to the practice, have a round table with them, bring them in to see what we do. Um, Cause it's just, it's not anybody's wrong or right. It's just like they, someone doesn't understand there's something that's, you know, just not being, translated correctly or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, having those round tables, either like maybe pre-camp, mid-camp, end-of-camp, off-camp, wherever, kind of the phase of what, where they're in with their, you know, their, their cycles or whatever. Um, I think the most benefit is definitely like before they start a fight camp, because then we kind of know like, okay, this is like where you're going with that. And this is how we can support you in that. And then like maybe mid-camp, if they have an injury, right? Like if they have an injury in camp, Um, I need to be really good about like, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. Like they can do these things. We can modify these things. They can't do these things right now. And like, give me three days or give me a week or like, we need to talk about pulling them out or getting imaging or whatever it is. So like, you're obviously Austin, you're in a place where you're pretty much a coach, I think. (laughs) So um, I'm sure you can kind of expand on like how difficult that that can be. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because it's when you come from the sport, you can coach the sport, you have the language that they're looking for. And that's, that's what I see a lot of the times when I talk to people about this is they don't, you have to learn the language that a coach uses before you try to talk to them about what's going to help their athlete. Cause if you don't know, like if, and there's, there's some people that want to work with fighters that don't know what a cross is and they try to go talk to a coach and then they, they say, Oh yeah. When they go like this and a punch and immediately that coach is going to turn off and they're going to be like, this person doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about. Exactly. So that's, that's what I would say is the biggest struggle is having that same dialect and that same language that you're talking about. And then moving forward from that and getting them to trust you. Cause at least yeah. what I've seen, and I would assume what you're seeing, which Absolutely. also, before I forget, because I forget a lot of these things, you should hit up my boy Santino about joining those roundtables. Santino. Santino. Santino DeFranco, our, our, our oh. head coach at Fight Ready. Oh, You'll yeah. know him if you see him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I've met him before. <laughs> yeah. He'd be everyone perfect for me it. is just coach. Yeah. Like, everyone walks in who's not a fighter is usually coach. So I'm just like, hey, right. coach. coach. <laughs> you know, I'm sure I've seen him a million times, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just a he's just a good dude. He's got that. He's I I talk about him on here a bunch. It sounds like I have a man crush on him, but he's one of those guys that he just I mean, he's got a master's in English. So he's like, yeah, weird. He was a professor at Northern Arizona, but he's got one of those like weird perspectives where he doesn't feel like he's ever smarter than anybody. And he just Mm -hmm. wants to help everybody. So Mm -hmm. it could be somebody good to bring in. 
yeah, let's do it. But anyways, I digress back to what we're talking about dialect. So just talking about having that dialect and being able to confer and like, shit it doesn't hurt anybody to just go try rolling jiu-jitsu like the best the best thing you could do is to try the sport absolutely and and most of us do um you know for pre-pandemic we had um you know a coach in town coming in on 7 a.m and rolling with us and kind of just doing that and i mean i think clint like clint's a blue belt bo's a purple belt um, Dunk, I know right. Duncan does it Clint all. Is a, Clint is a quote unquote, yeah, get, he's get a, Clint yeah. is a savage. I yes. know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, right. obviously, he was an elite wrestler, but yeah, and I mean, Charles does Muay Thai. I mean, we have mm-hmm. we have a good slew, I think, of like people who like we get it, obviously. Like, we're not all just like working in NFL and then we're all coming here and like trying to figure it out, right? right. Um, for me, I, I didn't have much of a background, but you know, what I can say is like listen, the body's still the body. Anatomy is still anatomy. Injuries are still injuries. You know, I can, I'm a good provider. I can communicate well. I can do all these good things. Like I have to learn the sport. Obviously I have to learn the lingo. I have to learn, you know, the, the moves, like everything. And I can do that. Like, right. I can, but I had to obviously definitely dedicate myself to, to getting in there and getting my hands dirty and, and doing that and like watching practices or film with the fighters and, you know, just observing how the athletes and the coaches communications are doing round tables, talking shop, meeting with them, calling them, whatever it is. But like, if you're not like willing to do that stuff, like you're not probably going to succeed or get very far. Right. Like they're, yeah. they're not going to trust you. They're not going to get that buy-in. Like I know, like they love seeing like their coaches and doctors on the mat. Like they, yeah. they you connect with them better. Yeah. Well, and, well, yeah. And when you go to practice, when you're there at practice, you get that extra buy-in. Yeah. So if it's one of those things, like when you go, when you leave the little, uh, the glass doors and you go into the S and C realm, that's an mm-hmm. extra step of buy-in. And yeah. then if you go upstairs and you go to when they're doing their skill training with whoever coach they brought in that day, that's another extra step of buy-in. Absolutely. So it's one of those things that if you're there and, and you can see what's going on. And I like what you said, I don't think enough people in the healthcare setting that are just healthcare watch film with their athletes. No. Like you, if you're not willing to take up 15 minutes of your time and watch film with your athlete to see and ask them, Hey, how'd you feel when you did that? Cause these athletes know like yeah. not, not all of them. Like I love my guys and I'm fine saying it. Not of them are all of them are the brightest bulbs. I love them to death, Not so much, but yeah. <laughs> I love them to death, but they're so kin like what they lack in streets or like school smarts. They're so kinesthetically aware yeah. of their body 100%. and their fight IQ is so damn high that they, when they throw a punch and they see it again, they're able to be like, Hey, that actually was a stinger that hurt pretty bad when I overextended on that right hand, something yeah. like that. And then yeah. you work, th- we work backwards after you watch the film. Yeah. Yeah. And then even things like, I think it's really cool. Like when we do kind of like a return to play, um, like, let's say like I'm rehabbing, you know, a shoulder or an ACL and I'm like, okay, come on, let's go hit the bag. And they're like, what really? Like, I'm like, yeah, yeah. what are you doing? Like, let's go. And they're like, hell yeah. And they just get like, so pumped up. Like if you just want to like watch them hit the bags or, you know, watch them, um, like shoot on the mats or whatever like yeah. that. I'm like, yeah, let's see how your knee holds up. Let's go. Let's go up there. That's I'll awesome. do it with you. Um, so things like that, I think just like making it obviously, if, you know, sports specific, if you're not at the gym. Um, I think just makes that buy-in and just makes it more fun. Like that's what we yep. we're going to do. So let's do it. 
Yeah, hundred percent. One of my one of my best memories when I was at the PI was it was I was just working the floor and we had different athletes going different ways and stuff. And I look over and and there's a certain athlete you know doing a landmine press um, in the middle of the floor. And I look over and it's like Tara's standing over there with him. I was like, what? <laughs> like like not that I had never seen that before, but it was just a little shocking. You know, it was like looking over. It was like, all right, cool. She's in on the whole process too, right? So that's uh that was a really good I guess perspective shift that you know everything's going to happen and you're going to be there for all the whole steps and I think it takes takes a little bit of vulnerability on your side too because like you said hitting the bag is is not something that you're you're familiar with but you can see that through the anatomical lens and you can see that through um the the performance care lens and then that bridges more of a communication gap with you and the athlete so I think all of that is hugely important that um you're willing to put in that work. And again, just like you said, willing to like research the sport, willing to give it your, your best to truly understand. And I don't think that's exclusive in MMA at all. I think that's in any pursuit that you have in life that you got to, you have to be willing to put the work in to, to know the specific population, to know the specifics of the world that you're in. So um, I think that that was a really valuable point as far as being willing to go the extra mile to, to learn the sport, even though, it does take some discomfort from, I mean, you as a practitioner. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm not perfect at any of this by any means. Like, you know, I probably don't always use the right lingo and things like that, but like, I think they can see that I'm trying to learn in the attempt, especially like in the beginning. Right. Um, But like, I think, yeah, one of those, I think if you're not, if you're not obsessed with what you're doing, that you're never going to be elite. Right. Like if you're not Mm -hmm. constantly trying to learn and trying to push yourself and trying to get outside your comfort zone and invest in yourself, think outside the box. Like you're not going to be in like the, you know, to the position that I'm in now where I'm in pro sports. I was in pro sports by 30. It was an unconventional path. Like, I, like you're just the people don't see that stuff behind the scenes, right? They just mm-hmm. see, Oh, you, you work this job, you got this next job, you did this, but like, like they're not seeing that Austin's in that gym the entire day. Yeah. Like, they don't know necessarily like what he's done, like his whole career. Right. So like, we're truly like invested a hundred percent. Like we love this. This is what we want to do. We want to be the best, not just to say we're the best, but to be the best for the athlete and to be the best for ourselves. Cause we love what we do. Well, and what I, I also find cool just talking with you, but talking with your whole team is like, you guys take that whole, like, you don't ever want to be the focal point. You want to be Yoda you don't want to be Luke Skywalker. Like, yeah. So, and, and that's what I find really cool. It seems like, and I've just talked a hundred percent, right. Working, working in that elite sports setting, you got to know that they're always Luke Skywalker and each one of you are the little Jedi people or like each one of that, like one of them is Iron Man. It's me. I'm Iron Man. But then every, everybody else around (laughs) is going to be your supporting cast. Well, I was bringing up superheroes. Kelly likes superheroes. Kelly does like he's not yeah. angry, but he does like that's my boyfriend. I, I know. <laughs> yeah, right. He also like Star Wars, so he'd be like, "Can Austin come back and play?" <laughs> but I just I love how you guys take that approach where you guys are you're more of the the Yoda. You don't need to be on the the front line. You just need to be there in the back burners. Nobody needs to see you, but everybody yeah. knows that you make that difference. And I was just almost like commending you. Oh, well, I appreciate you. Um, but yeah, I think what people think is that also, I think they see from the outside, they see this like, oh, we're, they think like, oh, they, they're the best. They know that they're the best, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, 
at the end of the day, like we're literally just, we are there like sacrificial lambs, like for that athlete, like there's nothing else that matters. Like we're not trying to like promote our own brand. We're not trying to like be this, like, Oh, we're the best. You need to learn from us and our ways, the highway kind of like mindset. Like when I like talk to an athlete about something, I'm like, Hey, this is like, this is where I'm coming from. This is my thought process, but I want to make sure that that fits in really well with your game plan. I don't want to ever like, you know, unless I feel like it's like absolutely necessary, like change everything that you're doing. Right. Because that's just not how we, that's just not how we roll. I don't think that's like, we should compliment them. We shouldn't like take over and change everything. And I think a lot of people when they like are the best of the best, try to do that. They try to say, uh, I've been successful. You know, I'm this person, my way is the best way. Listen to me. And I think that like the athletes see right through that. especially this population. So I always try to make it a point to be like, what are your goals? Like, what do you want? How can I help to support that? You know, I might have to tweak some things or give, you know, there'd be some caveats around the way, but like, we'll do it your way. I'm I'm just going to help to support you on this journey in whatever best way I can. Yeah, definitely. It's like, it's a, like a double dose of checking your ego at the door, like hundred percent. And and you're absolutely right. Like MMA competitors, like it's an individual sport. Like there's, and we just did a podcast on confidence too. So it's going to be, they're going to be able to identify the the spotlight or who you're truly doing the treatment for, who you're, you're the best in the world for. Like, are you the best in the world for yourself because you need to be the best in the world? Are you the best in the world because you're putting others in front of yourself and you're truly serving them. And I just think it, it, it's ironic that the latter, the people that are best in the world because they put others before themselves end up getting ahead of the other people that put themselves before others. Right. So that's, yes. it, it's a little like success leaves clues. So you just kind of follow those breadcrumbs and, and, and understand like what's the, the overall mission and what's the actual meaningfulness of, of your work. And it's the benefit that the athlete gets. It's not the, the street cred or it's not the, the ego boost that you get. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, probably one of the biggest things that I've learned, and it's not a specific technique or anything, but it's honestly about being selfless. And I'll give kudos to my boss, Heather, like she truly is the definition of like workhorse selfless will kind of drop everything puts herself on the back burner. Um, And I've definitely just observed that over the last two years. And I'm like, damn, like, and you know, that's, that's, that's really hard to do. Like there are days yeah. when I'm like emotionally and physically drained. And I think just as doctors too, or, you know, providers, you get that provider burnout. Um, and it's fulfilling for sure. But like, dang, man, there are days where I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I give everything to all these people constantly. And so, um, but yeah, that self selfness, selflessness, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just putting those athletes first and, you know, again, just like checking your ego and like, we're truly here. It's like, you know, however you want to put it, but to serve and to like, just help everyone else. Right. Um, so kind of going into that, like also take care of yourself. I was to say that's a, we've talked about that before too. It's a double-edged sword, right? You know, I've, we've been the, the strength, I've been the strength coach that spends 6am to 8pm, you know, every day at the gym. And that's, that's not a fulfilling role either because, you know, then I'm not providing my best every day. So it's mm-hmm. a, it's a fine and delicate balancing act. Um, and I think everybody hits that point in their career and, and um, has, you have to find it for yourself. Yeah. What do you guys do for kind of like your balance or self-care? I, <laughs> well, no, I have no boundaries. 
Yeah. So. <laughs> but I, that's going to catch I, up with you. Yeah. <laughs> I, you see, I, I don't, try to tell him, but he doesn't listen to it. I don't know. He doesn't I'm listen. not sure. But you're right, actually, because honestly, like my boss, Heather, she's the same, right? Like she can go, 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 go. She, she just loves it. She, there but are, like, I think there is a certain quality. There's a certain person that could do it. Yeah. Well, it sounds, it sounds dumb, but like my off time is when I'm not in the clinic and I'm at, when I'm not at my clinic and I'm at fight ready coaching really? or when I'm at siege yeah. coaching, like that's, that's what I consider my off time is when I get to, cause like, I, like wrestling coaching is different, right? I wrestle with all the athletes. I move around with them. I do these different things. So I'm getting my exercise, but I'm also like, like, it feels good to be out there and be like, oh, like I can, I still got it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah. hundred percent. That's fun. Yeah, so like, I, honestly, that's, that's what stops my burnout. It's just because that's fun. That is the most mm-hmm. fun thing. And even though it's with the same people doing the same things, doing all the same stuff, it's fun as hell. It is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, like the treatment part of my job is, is super fun. I get to like, you know, I mean, you both have been in the clinic and there's kind of like no rules in our clinic. Like it's mm-hmm. kind of this, like corner where like you can be really inappropriate. Um, don't tell anybody. <laughs> but yeah, big secret, um, big secret. Yeah, if, if we had cameras in there we'd probably all be fired by now um, <laughs> or i mean we have cameras oh. audio. <laughs> well, well hopefully yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully um, dana's not listening so yeah right no but yeah that, i mean that's the fun part i mean like he'd probably love it to be honest with you but yeah that's yeah. the fun part is like you know just being creative i think is really yeah. fun for me like i get to plug and play like okay that doesn't work let's do this right so that's the mm-hmm. fun part you know the draining part is you know the drama and the bs and the notes and things yeah. like that, which is obviously like the part, notes yeah. suck. Yeah. I know they suck. <laughs> I mean, then, but for us, like a fight week in normal normal world, like our reward was, hey, you get to go to the fight at the end of the week. Go party, have fun, enjoy. Yeah. This is what Absolutely. you what you earned. Like, so yeah. No, I think that that's super important. And I, I had it ironically best explained to me by one of my calculus teachers. Um, and I know. A lot of people aren't into math and, and math is not specifically my jam, but he, he was talking about his passion. Right. And when you talk about passion, he says, you know, math is my passion it's his passion. So he's like my job. I teach math and I do, I work on my algorithms and, and that's my job. And when I'm burnt out from that, I go, I go read a book about math because that's interesting to me. And when I'm done with that, and he said this very around, he's like, I do a fun math problem, which I don't know that people design fun math problem, but like exactly what, yeah, exactly what we're talking <laughs> about here. Like we care for the athletes. We're, we're doing either, you know, the, um, the practicing or we're doing the strength conditioning on the floor for me. And it's like, when I'm burnt out with that, like I go work out myself, I go roll, I go lift weights, I go do this. When I'm not doing that, I go watch the fights. I go observe it from afar. Cause that's fun too. And then by that time, I'm probably ready to go back and coach some more. Right. So it's that, that process of that, that, just is kind of indicative of true passion is like you, you our really, whole lives yeah. are this no matter what we're doing you guys <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> what you got this, there this is oh. what i'm reading right after we're done here because oh, it's fun this this, this yeah, that's joel jameson i'm rereading that one yeah it's I just fun it. yeah i haven't heard that one i'll just send that to me after yeah that's a good one that's a good one i'll get you a copy this is honestly this oh. is one of the best books i've read on like do you know joel does he come down to the pi at all I don't think so. He was, uh, he was, uh, Demetrius Johnson's guy. He's a okay. big Northwest guy, but he's one of the like leaders in energy systems training. Mm-hmm. I might know, like... So he, uh, do you know Morpheus? Yeah. The, the energy. Yeah. So that's his. Okay. Got it. Okay. 
Nice. Um, or, but yeah, just a really good book, but that's, this is what I'm doing as soon as we hang up here. It's just, yeah, that, I'm re I'm starting to reread that book. That was, yeah, that was <laughs> so one see, of my, like our yeah. whole lives are about this. Like we're, we're sick, right. We're, <laughs> we're so yeah. passionate about it that like everything we do is involved in the sport. Like you have to be that obsessed if you want to be that as good as like, you know, what you want. Right. Yeah. Well, like I, I always break it down to people that are, our sports different than all the other sports. If I fuck up or if I don't know something that costs them their win check because yeah. they only, they only get half their money for showing up. They get right. the other half for winning the fight. So if I am not on my A game for eight weeks of camp or however long their camp is, and I somehow neglected something and I, I really fucked up that might've took money out of their family's pocket and took food off their table. So yeah. like this more than any other sport, I'm like, I, I, you got to be passionate. You got, you got to go come home from work and keep learning and keep wanting to help these guys. Cause that's what they deserve. Well, Absolutely. And, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say just twofold. That, that's what they're doing, right? When they get done with yeah. practice, they come home watching film. They're, they're coming home, you know, thinking about the next fight. Like, and I don't, don't want to stop the train of thought, but I think that also could lead itself into a downward spiral. Like we were talking about earlier where that's, you know, driven a little too far, but, um, but like you said, I think it was Conor McGregor that said, he was like, I'm not talented. I'm just obsessed. I think yeah. that's, that's what it keeps ringing in my head. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like secret techniques, like honestly, a lot <laughs> of what we're doing is like basic stuff, but yeah. like, yeah, exactly. Like you just, you just, the it passion exudes and you know, the, the buy-ins there and yeah, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's just like, I'm just obsessed with bettering myself to serve you. Yep. 100%. Speaking of bettering yourself and speaking of things, you know, a shitload about. So I was, I was thumbing through uh, the PI's little post on the new book. And I saw that you helped write a chapter about breathing. And I also, (laughs) I love breathing as you know, we all have, we all have to do it. DNS nerd. Hell yeah. What uh, do you have? Uh, and obviously if, if you can't share it, that's totally fine. But do you have anything that you do in particular that's different than just regular, just expansion breathing? Do you bring in Wim Hof at all? Do you bring in like block or uh, box breathing? Yes. Um, so <laughs> Please and thank you. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's like, yeah, it's definitely um, a combo, right? I think, I think the best practitioners don't get so hung up on one technique. I think mm-hmm. that, the, the best ones are creative enough to find like a really good blend um, and a good blend, not only for like them and how they teach, but them for like that athlete, right? Cause one athlete's not going to get the same cues as another athlete, right? One might be mm-hmm. more kinesthetic, visual, you know, auditory, whatever it is. So the best practitioners know how to recognize that in mm-hmm. their, in their patient or athlete and then can switch gears really quickly to apply that. Right. Mm -hmm. So our second, I'm going to plug this for a second. Our second journal is going to drop, I think next week or the week after, which is really exciting. And it's almost 500 pages. Yes. Basically a textbook of the last four years. And I was lucky enough, obviously to be a part of that and to contribute on a couple different chapters um, the ones that I did and, um, 
you know, that I'm passionate about is, is breathing. Right. So I think just having a combo, you'll see some box breathing in there. You'll see some DNS in there. You'll see some like pranayama yoga style breath in there. You'll see some breath of fire. You'll see like everything, right. Cause you've got to know how to plug and play. So there's a couple different like approaches depending on what your goals are. And what I specifically did was actually go through. So the way that this is phased out is actually in, um, like kind of period, like camps. So we've mm-hmm. got off camp, pre-camp, mid camp, peak camp, recovery camp, and you can actually apply a different type of breathing for each of those scenarios. You can apply a recovery breath versus performance breath, right? You can switch it. So you're, you don't really want to do too much um, parasympathetic breaths in between rounds, right? right? Like you don't, they, you want to yeah. keep fight or flight. You want yeah. to you want to recover in some sense, obviously, but you don't want them to switch it completely off because right. then they got to go right back into the sympathetic. Mm-hmm. They're fighting, yeah. they're fighting and flighting. So, right. um, and I, so I think like knowing what the appropriate application to those different styles due to like what their activity is or, you know, is, is crucial. And so, so some people are like, Oh, you got to belly breathe all the time. Like, actually I'm not teaching them to belly breathe in that five minute round. No. I'm not, I'm, I'm going to teach them how to breathe efficiently, um, for what they're doing, but I'm not going to teach them the incorrect way to breathe for what the, we want the outcome to be. For sure. And so do you, all right. I'm, oh God, I'm I got to make it the... going. Yeah, no, I know. Go, he's going to go half hour on this. <laughs> I will keep it short. <laughs> you're good. <laughs> um, all right. So obviously you're not trying to, we'll say, do all these different things. You're not trying, you're trying to mesh everything together. Do you ever do any, we'll say like immersion, breathe, like cold water immersion breathing? Do you ever bring that in? Because I know Wim Hof does a whole bunch of that. That's something I, I'm asking it because a lot of my fighters or fighters in, in the Phoenix Valley are on that train right now where you're yep. focusing on breath work while in a cold bath or a sauna, whatever it may be. Um, and then do you also use any sort of like, what kind of recovery breath are we talking about here? <laughs> um, we're playing around with that for sure. I mean, so especially for like, let's say the weight cut night where they're in sauna, they're in sauna suits, they're in, you know, mummies or whatever it is. Um, so we stand by as medical providers to make sure that that goes really well. But what we've actually done is teach our nutrition team, who is usually at that point, the more the kind of the, you know, the number one go to in that in that situation to monitor breath to um, you know, we've got pulse oxes available to make sure that we're doing a good job. We obviously don't want any like, um, you know, anxiety to creep in things like that and kind of get into that breath where it changes, you know, they're, they're probably not in like an actual like medical emergency, but what it can be is like anxiety and freaking out and like, oh, I can't cut weight anymore. So it's more mental at that point. Right. Um, so we're kind of collabing and kind of experimenting with like the cold and the hot and the breath and things like that, for sure. Um, I don't think we've done as much cold immersion breathing as heat and heat acclimation breathing. I would say that we're definitely doing that and kind of playing with that for sure. Um, and then what was your second question? The Uh, I just said, what kind of recovery breathing are we talking about? What are we, what are you using as far as recovery breathing? We'll say mid camp. So recovery breathing to me would be <laughs> like, I would say either like after a hard workout when it's done to get them back into that parasympathetic state or for like 
pre-bedtime sleep recovery hygiene. So those are, there's, we're getting to the point where we're being really specific on the breathing on when to apply it versus like you, again, you need to breathe like this all the time, right? Like this works different. There's a time and place for sympathetic versus parasympathetic breathing. So when I feel like that athlete's stressed out, if I see on their aura ring trends from our sports scientists that they're sleeping super shitty, and then I talk to them and they're like, I'm just really stressed out. This is a big fight. I might get cut. I'm, I'm broke. Like they're, they're stressed. So that's stress. Mm-hmm. That's that short sympathetic breathing. So I will apply that like recovery technique in that situation. So I definitely think it's like situational, but I mean, I'm going to start with like your basic DNF breath. I'm going to start crocodile on your belly, push your belly into the table, relax your traps. And we're going to start there. And then I'm just going to progress them as they get better. Right. It's, it's the same thing. It's nothing mind blowing. And I I think it's just going back to being really good about knowing time and place, how to modify, how to adapt, um, how to recognize when they're getting it versus when they're not, when you need to progress, when you need to regress. So that's not all like cutting edge breath work. That's just being really smart at what you do and knowing yeah. how to adapt. Adaptation is, I think, one of my strongest points. And I think that's why I'm good at what I do is because like I can recognize and be so intuitive with that athlete on, okay, this isn't working, back paddle or like, shit, they're getting this. Let's let's go apply it, right? Like, and and that trust and that buy-in comes from that. Oh, yeah. Nice. Would you would you recommend doing it? So I'm trying to force I'm forcing, I am forcing the fight ready team to start doing parasympathetic <laughs> breath at the end of practices. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. So I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to highlight this. This is going to be the intro plug for the podcast. And then I'm going to make everybody listen to it. So <laughs> Dr. Tara says that we need to do parasympathetic breath at the end of every practice. Yep. Absolutely. There we go. I love Perfect. it. And then everybody logs off. So something I'm kind of thinking about and um, because like, these athletes, they want to do this stuff. And I, but I think it's like, they're just like capacity at that time is like shot. Right. And a lot of these guys, they kind of need someone to like, not hold their hand, but like, honestly, they kind of like force them to sit down and do the recovery work. And it's not that they don't want to do it. It's just like, they're just exhausted. Right. So something kind of, I'm thinking about and what we've talked about at the PI are kind of like, I'm potentially would like to do maybe like a Friday mobility recovery day where like the end of the day, Fridays four to five, you're doing, it's almost like I'm like running my own like yoga class. Like, so we're doing breath, we're doing mobility. We're just, we're we're just, you're going to have some eyes on you and like, obviously a place where you can come for like a full hour of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's just like a good lead in. So yeah, if like establishing something with your team, like this is what we do now, like yeah. let's make it happen. Right. Like we're going to spend like, yeah. 15, 20 minutes on like, and we're going to do it all together as a team. Cause I think that'll get more buy-in too. Like we're mm-hmm. going to have everyone, we're going to have everyone come over. It's not just going to be like, you know, cause you can always say like, make sure you warm up, make sure you cool down. But like, <laughs> They're not no, no. I, I run, I run the warm-ups. I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't let them don't get away let, with that yeah. bullshit. Good. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, for both of your situations, right? Like I think yeah. there's something about making sure like, Hey, we're just, we're doing this as a team and we're going to do it before you drive home. Yeah. Um, because if you don't, I don't think they're going to like majority of them won't do, do it. Right. Yeah. yeah 100%. For sure. And I think, and I think that's an, a really 
apps observation within the, like, the MMA community specifically, because we're always go, go, go. Like, let's work harder. Let's go harder. Let's do another round. Like, like how many guys after practice would a hundred percent stay around to do another five minute go, but will not stay around to do, you know, five, 10 minutes of breathing. Right? I've got like, guys doing 10 rounds of five minutes when they've got a three round fight coming up. And I'm like, what like, are you doing? Again, that, that's the culture, <laughs> right? And, and that's, that's yeah, where we is. can start to impact and, and, and kind of observe those changes. And then, like you said, apply the right movement or the right, um, the right like methodology or modality to the right context. And I think that, like you said, that adaptability piece is, is huge in, in any profession, especially working with fighters who are literally adapting every second of every, of every fight. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So I, I just wanted to echo, echo that like the, the adaptability piece and then the, the context specific work is, is irreplaceable specifically mm-hmm. with that pop, with our population. Yeah. And I think it's just worth noting, like, this is still a really new sport. Like, yeah. again, like what, I mean, UFC has been around for 25 years, 26, seven yeah. now, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, and we've been open for five years. So yeah, like, right. I mean, there's 600 plus athletes on a global roster and like, how do you influence an entire sport, an entire global sport where <laughs> The culture for decades now has been you train as hard as you can or you're not tough enough and you're not going to work it. You got to train harder, 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 harder. We're trying to train that mindset. We're trying to change. No, 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 no. You want to train smarter. This is how you do that. This is why we're here. Speaking about speaking about overtraining. So what kind of role do you have in the workload equation of the athletes as far as the, the medical provider? on their team? Um, so I think we we're doing a really good job. I think lately of like, I want that athlete to come in with their schedule for the week. Let mm-hmm. me see what you're doing. I want it on paper. Mm-hmm. I want you to write out. Cause a lot of it is, is just that is like, what the heck are these people doing? You know what I mean? Like, what are they doing all day? And, you know, they say I'm doing this, this or this, and they bring me this list and it's just like crazy. (laughs) Like I've got an athlete who's doing a 15 mile hike in the morning, strength conditioning at a three, jujitsu at 430 and wrestling at six. Do you think like maybe that's a lot? So they have a lot of injuries is what you're saying. Yeah, right. (laughs) A lot of chronic injuries. So what? Yeah. So I really like when they can bring me that schedule and be like, okay, this is, we're going to we're going to like modify this, or we're going to do only S and C Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're going to do recovery every day. We're going to do this, this, and this. And so training load wise for me, I like to see that schedule. I also will get input from, I mean, like what their body feels like, right? Like, Mm -hmm. are they coming in with like, I mean, I've got a couple athletes now that I can name off the top of my head. Like every day they have a new injury, Mm -hmm. every single day it's a new injury. And I'm like, what is happening? Right? Like, Obviously, yes, they are probably a little hypermobile and prone to like ligament and musculoskeletal injuries. But like, if that training load is so high that they're just chronically hurt, like someone's got to give, we got to start to figure something out because I'm just not going to patch things together. It's not like, you know, it's kind of the job, but it's not what we want the job to be. Right. 100%. So I'll get also get input from S and C, right? Like, are they able to, are they coming in and being like, my soldiers, my legs are just so gassed today from, xyz like i can't do this they have to modify their entire workout for that day right yeah Yeah. or you know i think one of the cool things is that we've been doing lately is having that aura ring so you know for anyone who doesn't know what that is it's a 
wearable, um, you know, a wearable device where it will monitor sleep hygiene, recovery, HRV, fitness, everything under the sun. It's similar to um, Omega Wave or a Whoop watch. But um, what will happen is like our sports scientist, Roman, gets all that data every single morning. He goes in and check it. And if you're in the red, he texts me right away and be like, hey, something's off with so-and-so like they're HRV was super low. They slept for four hours. Their score was a 50, right? Like, and then they come in and they're like, man, my neck's just not any better. And I'm like, well, like, I wonder why, like you're not recovering. Right. So that's just a thing where like, that's so cool. Like we get to all have this role and play off of each other. And like, like they might, if they, if I didn't know that there's or a ring score was a 50, I may be like, well, I did something wrong or something, or I'm not getting the right diagnosis or something like that. Right. Like, no, they're just like, they just over, you know, maybe overuse train, whatever it is. And they're not sleeping. They're not recovering. They're not doing their cool downs. They're, or maybe like their weight stagnant, right? Like, are they binge eating on the weekends? Like nutrition will tell me I can check, I get their weight every day. So it's yeah. like, it's yeah. this constant communication and collaboration about like, okay, like figuring out like, okay, what's going on, right? Like, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? Like, what is clicking to, I feel like, what, what, or what can we improve? And when it all comes together like that, oh my gosh, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, no, those are, those aura rings are so cool. All, all the guys I work with that are in the UFC have one and I make them sh- show me all the scores every time they come in and all that stuff, but so it's a I really cool story. Really important for both of you guys is like, what is your score today? Like, let me see it, right? Because one of them, I think it's kind of cool, right? They want to show you until it's bad. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, Exactly. It's only until it's bad. They don't want to show you that. And they're like, oh, no, no, would you? But what, but what (laughs) you guys can do, and what other people can do, is like, okay, you're you're fifty for three days in a row. We're doing active mobility. We're doing breathing today. We're doing recovery today. We're going to go swim. We're going to use a hot tub. We're doing yoga. Like we're not training. We're not training today. Like this is, we need a break. You're not, you know, maybe. And I think one of the big things is like pulling them completely. I never, I mean, unless it's super serious, I never pull them completely. Right. I'm like, okay, you're not sparring today. You can hit that. Right. Or you're not wrestling today with a controlled partner at 50%. Right. So if you, you're going to get way more buy-in with these athletes, if you kind of keep them in the game, so they feel like they're doing something, but you're modifying them to make sure that they don't get hurt worse or more, or you're, they're complimenting like what you're doing. Right. So if an athlete's got a bum shoulder, they're probably not going to hit pads that week, but they can go do jujitsu. They can go drill. They can do wrestling. They can do, you know, it's all about like knowing the sport though. Right. Like what can they do? Like what in, like, how can I work around it so that they still feel like they're, you know, not, not training for a week in the middle of fight yeah. camp. Right. Mm-hmm. And I will say like that kind of, and I'm sure I'll, you both have seen like kind of that three or four weeks out from their fight, mm-hmm. always bur- they're burnt out, they're getting hurt. So we've actually started implementing deload week, yep. very, yeah. very light training, you know, no, nothing over really 50 to 70% coming in for recovery every day, twice a day, you know, like literally just reset. And they're actually, we're really collecting data on this. They're getting to that fight way better off. Great. Really. That's, that's actually, well, that's funny. I actually, I do that. (laughs) That's funny that you guys do that ever. So I do four week, four week peaks 
So mm-hmm. at the I fifth and eight week camp, their fifth week is a deload. And what? then we go into that peak right after that. And it's worked so well for the people that take that extra camp. It gives them like a mental break. No, yeah. I, I think that's a huge piece because like, I, I mean, again, culture of the sport, we're going to have an eight week fight camp, right? Like, and then like, again, pushing back on that is like, who said we have to have an eight week fight camp? What is an eight week fight camp? Right. So it's it, the numbers on the made up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Joel, so I, it was Joel Jameson. Yeah, right. Same guy. He would eightweeksout.com or whatever. Um (laughs) but like it's a hundred percent logical to take that D load, but even though it's not like popularized or it's not the the common culture of the situation. And I think that's and this is maybe the sociology nerd coming out of me, but I think that's such a interesting interplay of like, why does the culture deem this practice to keep going, even though it might not be the most optimal practice? Like just because everybody's doing it, just because it's popular does not make it the best thing to do. You know, I think that that goes hand in hand with like overtraining in a minute that goes hand in hand with eight week fight camp that goes hand in hand with cutting weight to a super extreme amount. Like it's just an interesting dynamic where, like you said, mm-hmm. we're trying to fight back on it and we're trying to, you know, build trust at the same time. So it's a, it's a delicate game. Because there was never any research to show them otherwise. <laughs> there you go. Some guy made it up. Yep. <laughs> stuck with it for the last three decades. But now, obviously, we're coming out and we're, we're doing the research and we're the first mm-hmm. in the sport to do it. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. we're, li- you know, like systematically. So I think, like, and that's our goal behind the scenes is people think that, like, oh, you just work with the fighters and you treat them. It's like, we're, I'm like doing so much other stuff. Like, I have like goals every year. We're obviously doing this journal. We're creating a certification process that's going to come out at the end of the year. That's going to be really cool. Um, So it's like, we want to push the sport forward. We want to, we want to make like really good evidence-based decisions for these athletes. Right. We just like, like I said, like who came up with that? Who, who decided that that was a good idea? Like, we want that to be based on evidence and research. And like, that's what we're doing behind the scenes over the last five years Every time you, every new athlete that steps in that, they're doing full diagnostics across sports medicine, nutrition, um, strength and conditioning, sports psychology, uh, what am I missing? Um, sports science, like everything under the books. And we're collecting that data. And that's what that journal is going to come out with in the next week or two. And it's just going to blow people's minds. They're going to be like, I didn't even think about this stuff. And now there's evidence behind what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I think that's, what's going to change the culture. Yeah. Uh, Very well put. I think that that's substantial within the sport. And I think that that's kind of can't be replaced, you know, and one of the thoughts I always have with with building a fighter and with our organization is I look at what's happening at the PI and, and such a high level of interdisciplinary approach, such a high level of, of research and pushing the sport forward. When I, we came to building a fighter and we created this, it was, you know, that's part of our mission is like, how can we make every fight camp or every preparation for the sport kind of look like that interdisciplinary model and, and true and truly do the pre- preparation and sports performance better within an MMA community. So that's a different challenge, right? You you have, you know, experts in house and you have everybody that, you know, and trust under one roof. It's like, how can we as building a fighter bring this into, you know, fight ready that has three or four different locations uh, of practitioners. And how can we bring that impact, you know, even on a more broad scale than, I know the PI is. So I think we're very aligned in that, that type of mission there. And again, you guys are doing great things. Like 
the the uh, journal as you call it like that thing is invaluable if you're working with any fighter ever like get your hands on that like period you guys put it out for free correct yeah, yeah. you, you know how many times free textbook that's <laughs> worth i mean shit i don't even know but like yeah it's gonna be Crazy. out we're not worried yeah. about that right like we're worried about like we want to truly change the sport that's why mm. it's for free um you know the certification series might be a different store um but i think like but what's cool about it is like you'll you'll be able to get that hands-on like you're gonna feel like i do what tara does or i can do with that Mm -hmm. like i there's no secrets like i don't want it to be like oh like we're hiding these like freaking secrets in this vault of the pi it's not about that we want to share you know share this knowledge like one of my honestly i remember one of my questions when i interviewed was like are you guys going into these camps how are you changing the culture like what are you doing what's the outreach like like i mean Mm -hmm. as austin you know that and this is the bane of our existence but like like spinal screenings or like outreach or like health events like hate it right but like if you're you can apply it in a way where it's like, awesome. Like if I were to come to fight ready for a weekend and just teach you guys about all that we do or that I did, I think that would be super valuable. Right. Um, so that, I think that's like a long-term goal too, is just, we want to just try to influence as many people as we can. Bottom line coaches, athletes. Yes. But coaches, trainers, doctors, you know, everyone, nutritionists, literally everyone. That's why there's a chapter in that book for every single provider, influencer, whatever you want to call it. Mm, So pivoting just a little bit into the clinician side of things. Mm -hmm. So what are you seeing right now? (laughs) What are you seeing right now as far as obviously that everybody gets different injuries, right? But what are some trends that you're seeing as far as injury wise? Are you seeing a whole bunch of cervical hernia, like cervical disc? I know like, in my practice, see a whole bunch of hot discs, um, okay. neck and back, but what are you seeing in particular? So this is in the first volume of the journal. We've, we, I think we identified the top five or the top 10 most common injuries. Um, I think they might've like changed a smidge in the second part, but like just off the top of my head. And I don't even remember what the top five were, but like cervical disc, lumbar disc, um, ACL, MCL, like kind of like foot fracture, list front, turf toe, ankle sprain, um, hip impingement, shoulder impingement, sir, uh, blah, 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 labrum, rotator, go, I mean like elbow, UCL, bone chips. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks for narrowing that down like to one specific area. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, everything. I mean, I mean, definitely most common. I think from wrestling, neck, yep. present, yep, um, and lower back, jujitsu, same, um, and then sparring, shoulders, knees, foot. Forgot wrist, wrist, like um, thumb, thumb stuff. Oh, so much yeah. thumb. Sh- Right, like the gloves. Oh, it's the worst. It's it. the worst. Trevor Whitman, let's go. I'm yeah. ready. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so much, yeah, thumb stuff. Yeah, the venom gear was is really sweet, actually. So yeah. just kind of saw it in person for the first time, obviously, this week. And sorry, off mm-hmm. the subject a little bit, but um, most of the fighters said like it felt like more that of like that athletic fit, like kind okay. of drier fit, um, more like athletics, like shape, snug, whatever, um, mm. thicker material, the dry fit material looks really sharp on everybody. So yeah. I'm, waiting, 
mob swag bag. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Heck yeah. Uh, yeah. Luis and Hunter both said they loved, they loved that stuff. They said it just fit. It fit better and it, it like, like it, it yeah, it fit like an athlete, but it just, yeah. he's like, they like fight, feel good, fight good, look good. That's one yeah. of those things. Like, they're like, I looked good. That made me want to fight better. I yeah. love it. Yeah. They're so uh, funny. They're right. kids, you know? <laughs> oh, man. We're all kids. We're all kids. I know. Um, are you, are you seeing at all any, something I, I've seen more than I thought I would is there's that new diagnosis. It's actually, I think it's an ICD-10 now, but like cauliflower elbow where you get your bone chips in there. All, uh, oh my God. I've had three in the last two weeks. Yeah. I've, I've gotten, I mean, um, I work with, and I've had them, right? Like I've had, yeah. I've had them, but like, that's just funny. You bring it up. Cause I've had a plethora in the last few weeks of that. Um, yeah, yeah they, they can't extend. They can't, they can't. Yeah. It's just sucks. Everything sucks. Brachioradialis is tight as shit. Just Everything. obviously needle, needle the fuck out of that. But like, yeah. what, what are you doing rehab wise? Rehab wise or like, yeah. well, just anything. I just, anything. I, one of my guys got straight up. He, he got the surgery, got it taken out. It, it was good. And yeah. Three weeks well, is really quick like, recovery. It's like almost like a combo though. Right. It's like bone chip. And then it's like nerve obviously. Cause everything's all yeah. rotated and jammed. Mm-hmm. It's a joint, it's joint restrictions. It's soft tissue issue. It's, it's literally like everything you can put in an injury in one. I think it's why it makes it so freaking hard. Yeah, it's yeah. not just joint bone. It's not just muscle, like everything. And it's so cranky, but I'll tell you what, I've been getting really good success, success with getting, um, I, I'm finding that radial head is not, is, is really stuck. Like, I don't know how you say it, like posteriorly, I guess. So yeah. I, I'm mobbing the shit out of it anteriorly. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, I'm like taking it and I'm mobbing it anteriorly and then okay. I'm like trying to floss the hell out of like the ulnar nerve. Cause I feel yeah. like that's the one that gets caught mm-hmm. and I'll like kind of, I'll kind of like strip through that groove. Um, we have a shockwave machine that's been really great for that. And so I'll like put it like right in the joint as deep and mean as I can. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. And then tractioning. So I'll like, I'll like hook their like almost arm bar and traction on like on their head and pull away from humeral, distal humeral, humerus, and kind of just work on that like extension, almost like, like cervical spine or something like that, like a extension mode. Okay. And I'm getting really good results. Um, I'm needling the shit out of it and I'm like digging my elbow in the shit of it too, but I'm finding if I can like free up the joints and I can, I'm getting better movement in there. But, um, so I will say though, um, I've only had a, obviously Heather's been obviously in the sport, my boss since the beginning and she and other people are really finding that like, if you go and try to scope that or clean that out, the success rate is actually really poor. It's like less than really? 20%. So we're actually trying to avoid Damn. surgery for that as much as possible. Although it's like an easy surgery, the outcome is really poor. Yeah. Huh. I wonder yeah. if it's just because they're going back to the same shit that hurt it. Uh, Maybe. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. Right. Right. Maybe yeah. like, like gumming no it up again, you know, like right. before it after the surgery or whatever. Like, because yeah, normally you're like, oh, I just cleaned it out two weeks. You're good. Right. right. You can go back to yeah. what you're doing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the damage is done because like that bone chip, usually by the time they want surgery, has been there for years. Yes. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's probably going to take more than two weeks to rehab just neuromuscular, skeletally yeah. neuro, whatever. Patterns, um, yeah. 
that like proper activation of everything that that movement has to do. So it absolutely could be just shitty rehab, right? Um, yeah. Or finding out that like the outcomes just aren't that great. So we're, we're really trying to avoid as much as we can, but some are just so far gone. Like they've just, they've just right. been it for years and like kind of their only option at that point. Right. Yeah. Lots of arm bars, lots of arm bars. Um, the, the hyperextension injuries too, the, the missing yeah. pad and the yeah. hyperextension yeah. is a huge one. That hurts yeah. so yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yes. that's, I mean, that's not trauma, but that, I mean, I had that last week, but then athlete who fought on the card. Yeah. And Oof. yeah. And I, you know, I would see them as much as I can, right. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And, um, actually they did really good by Friday night. So nice. We're, you know, maybe it is just getting better and more specific and teaching that, you know, for me, just, I, I mean, every day, like every patient you see you're learning right so yeah. if you find something that works like you should share it with the world and that's what i mean i think we want to do eventually right yeah absolutely oh, yeah. yeah well and going back going back to what you were saying well going back to what you're saying about the pi and like the their certification you're putting out it's like something that i truly believe in is like like when in school i was the mpi guy right and i was showing people how to adjust and all these different things it's like just because i show you how to do something doesn't inherently make you good at it like all of these different skills or that is also like what you should be doing. Like if I show you how to adjust and it doesn't work for you, then don't do it. Find someone who does who like you can connect with on how like, it's the same, it's the same, it's the same stuff, same same stuff you guys are doing. Right. It's just because you show them how to do it. They still need to put the fucking work in. (laughs) Like they, they need to do the work to be, to be great at it. So like, that's where I, I, I always get, frustrated with people that have like secret stuff like one of my one of my buddies he did an associateship with uh an sfma guy who turned out to be a douche and so he like it was one of those things like he wouldn't let people shadow and he had this own his own specific thing that he told max is the max was the guy that took over for me for me on mpi told max that he wasn't allowed to share any of his any of his stuff with anybody else i'm like bro like you really think a that your stuff's that but yeah. b that anybody cares enough to get as good at it as you are the person that made that screen because i can guarantee nobody is yeah so like yeah that, that that's a heavy dose of, of the ego right and i think i mean like or like mixed martial arts or martial arts in general kind of stem from that place where it's like my dojo is the best we know we have the best practitioner but that we've even broke free of that train of thought right with mixed martial art and everybody adapting like be water right so it's it's, again i think a lot of the people that have the secret sauce or that have the secrets are 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 the insecure people like to be honest like absolutely i don't consider anyone who keeps secrets a leader in their field right for sure and and like that's been my teaching are selfless are wanting to better everyone around them and and making them rise up and being selfless in their knowledge because like I don't can want to continue to live a world where 90% of my fellow colleagues I wouldn't refer to right one more glass of wine and i would not have been. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I've, I've said it on this podcast so it's already recorded i hate 85 percent of characters 85 Can't I, say I, I say 90 but all right cool I good oh well, yeah ex- uh, exactly i tell people they're bad at their job yeah mm-hmm. and i think that's why i probably got my job because they were like well what kind of like pyro are you right because 
I work with a PT and an ATC who worked at the USOC and they know a good Cairo from a bad one. And I'm like, I'll be honest with you. I hate 90% of my profession and they died laughing. And honestly, it's probably why I got the job. Like, <laughs> like we need, to, but like nothing's going to change if we don't put that out there, create the culture that we want, yeah. encourage our colleagues and friends and providers to be better. Yeah, for sure. Like, I, like I, t- I tell everybody, like, I hate it really 90s, pro- 95 is probably the right number, but yeah, I was trying to be nice, but whatever. <laughs> but like, I, I hate, I hate that percentage of the population, but I'm still proud as fuck to be a chiropractor. I, I, I don't tell, it's not like I tell people I'm just like, cause I do a lot more, like I do a lot of exercise and people like people have called me to other people, hey, physical therapist. Yeah. Well, yeah. People think I'm a PT and I, I stop yeah. them and I, I correct them every time. Cause I'm proud to be a chiropractor. Yeah. So like, it's one of those things like leading the charge forward is it's, it's one of those things that everybody, one of the top 1% should be doing. Yeah. And, and we have more leaders and, you know, our mindset than ever before. Like, I mean, yep. Seven, oh my gosh, seven years ago out of practice, we did not, right? Like we, I was like, oh my God, where can I find somebody who thinks like me? And I yeah. literally had to move across the country to do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like it was mind blowing though, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. but that's, yeah, that's what we do. If we're not doing it, who's going to do it? And like, I'm not going to sit around and have someone bash my profession when I know that there's good providers out there. I know we can be better. Um, and that's, that's what we have to do. We have to do it Yeah, for sure. Can you, can you tell that to Joe for me before everybody on FTCA has a heart attack again? (laughs) I'm speaking of FTCA next weekend. Oh, you're doing shift. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. And in June, which you don't know about yet. Look at you. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, this podcast is posted on their podcast platform. So we'll get to see it. Yeah, yeah. No, they take but, care of me. They've been great about asking me to come and and speak and stuff. And you know, I'm happy to. It's it's fun. Yeah. It's because I tell you every time you're damn good at your job. Why wouldn't people want you there? Wow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else you got for Alex? I mean, I I mean, I could go for days. I, you know, I I live in the air, and I think um, I mean strength and conditioning. I have a lot of feels. I feel like a, the third wheel right now. But strength conditioning, I think, has a lot of the same uh, problems. Um, I think it's a little more systemic as far as like the creating the the professional path within strength and conditioning, but um, same problems nonetheless. But as far as, you know, finishing the podcast, I just want to open it up to Tara and see what, what else that she has. I mean, we've talked about a lot. I mean, it's been an hour and 20 and it felt like 20 minutes. Oh, you know? shit. It's been an hour and 20. All right. Yeah. Oh, That's damn. what happens when you get to sit down and talk with your friends you haven't seen in a while. I know. Damn. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm good. I'm just, I, I love what you guys are doing. You're both killing it. I mean, Alex, you were an absolute pleasure to have at the PI and I know that you're going to continue to crush it in Denver. Austin, you're doing your thing out there. There's nothing but good feedback from all the guys that are coming in at the PI and when I can get a hold of them on fight week. So I hope you apply for that job posting that we put up. Well, I don't even know what you're talking about, to be honest well, with you. Send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, think God. my fiance would murder me if I told her we were moving away from Scottsdale. So <laughs> it's a three hour drive. You'll be fine. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but you know, I just think, you know, even just starting this podcast, you guys are trying to push everything forward. And I think that's what it's all about is that outreach and trying to connect with people and 
just truly, you guys are both so passionate about what you do that anything that you guys do, you're going to just continue to crush it. And so I'm just proud to have you guys as friends and colleagues. Thank you so much, Sarah. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. Yes. Thank you for taking your time and and thank you again for connecting with us, all your your kind words, as well as just, you know, continuing the the trend of being better. I think that's what it's about, right? Giving back and being better. Yeah. Better every day. (laughs) Be careful now. We might, we might skew into the the toxic side of that, but Uh, but all right. So if y'all got to get in contact with us, me or Alex, you know that our contact information is going to be in the show notes. Tara, where can people get a hold of you if they have any questions? Um, so you can hit me up or follow me or message me on Instagram. That's probably the easiest way. My handle is D-R-T-E-R-A. So Dr. Tara. Um, yeah, follow along and post a lot of painful videos of fighters getting tortured. And um, if you guys, you know, I'd I'm always open to collaborating and, and, you know, just helping in any way that I can. I'd love to be able to eventually get people back to shadow and to intern and things like that. So, you know, reach out, don't be afraid to connect, pretty easy to talk to. And I'd love to hear from you. (laughs) Hell yeah. Great. Well, the other thing we want to get to is please like, share, subscribe, do whatever you can to let us talk to your friends because we want to become friends with your friends. Uh, As always, this is Building a Frighter, Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Friedman. And Tara. Tara's here. (laughs) This is your podcast though, guys. Yeah, but you can say bye. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right. Bye, guys. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate your time. For sure. And we are out. That's the jingle.